Hi, you're listening to Ember Island Airwaves. I'm Soren Howe, and I'm here with Josh Rosenfield, and we are going to be discussing the finale of The Legend of Korra, um, both season four and the entire series. Uh, and the two episodes um, that make up the finale are, of course, Day of the Colossus and The Last Stand. And uh, there's like a bajillion things to talk about, of course. So much. Uh, so many things. And, and even just in the past 20, 30 minutes, we've gotten word of less. yet more things. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> less and more, you know, at the same time. Yeah, so it, 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 I said less than 30 minutes. It was the instant oh, we started minutes. recording oh, okay. that yes. this was yeah, revealed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so exciting stuff. This is oh, yeah. cutting edge broadcast <laughs> journalism right here. Um, Breaking news. <laughs> Breaking news in a Breaking couple days. News. Exactly. Um so, uh, I, why don't we just, we'll just do, like, our initial reaction to, um, the, why don't we do our reaction to what just, what we just read, because I think this is a big deal, and we can, we can come back, circle back to it later, because it's sort of chronologically at the end, but this is a big deal, and I think we should, we should get out of the way. Um, yeah, oh, oh my god, I've been, I've been waiting, <laughs> I have been, oh, I'm so excited to talk about this. Alright, so, we have... An official confirmation from both Brian Konitsko and Mike DiMartino, who both independently have confirmed uh, that the uh, Asami and Korra relationship that many people have speculated based on the ending of these two episodes um, of of this finale in the season uh, are, in fact, in a romantic relationship uh, and that that final scene was not meant to be ambiguous. Um, Their hands, perhaps, were tied a little bit by Nick in terms of what they could show, but it was not meant to be ambiguous. So this is official confirmation of, uh, as far as we know, the first um, Spectrum uh, relationship in the show. So, yes. Uh, let me... Uh, why don't, do you want to talk about that a little bit? <sighs> oh. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. um, I don't remember. I actually I didn't get the chance to look back at what episode of this podcast I first brought it up. Um, it was just a couple ago. It was recently. At yeah, this point, where you um, outed yourself, you outed yourself as a as a Korosami shipper. shipper yeah, and I made fun of you, not because, really, more because you used the phrase, you know, Korosami or or or, or, or like shipper, that. yeah, or shipper or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm never like I like I said then. I said it now, and I'll say it again. I've never ever been one of uh, those people, a shipper. Um, but I think that uh, I was I was uh, vindicated. Well, I think we were all moment. getting those vibes. This. Absolutely, yeah, and we we talked about this, and it's only become you know more clear. Like I don't, the things that I was thinking of when we had that conversation, the little moments between them, um, and you know when we talked, I was like, you know, this could be their end game. This could be how they're going to close out the series because there is a lot. It must have been reunion because that was the part where uh, Sami said she liked Cora's hair and Cora blushed. Right, she's Uh, blushing. Yeah. Yeah, so th- I think that was when we talked about that episode was when we talked about it, but it, a lot of those kinds of moments now they had a significance for me just working under that assumption or that working under that speculation that that was what was going on, but I, you know, I, I, I could I could also look at those moments and think yeah, well they're not they're not actually doing anything or they're just kind of if anything they're maybe just hinting at it but nothing's actually going to come of it, so there's no point in even and looking at it as, as anything but uh, you know innocuous platonic right right interaction, right. but um, then when we get this final scene, it all you you have to look back at all of these other moments and, and kind of see gesture. the seeds of this relationship being planted, and it's done 
so well, looking back at it, the way that, you know, it, it's not in the foreground. That's what I think is really important about it, and I think that's what threw a lot of people off. It was the most subtle relationship in this, in this series. Um, in, in, in Korra, maybe in the whole series, although I would say that Aang and Katara, he, it was funny because when um, uh, Mike DiMartino was talking about it was Mike DiMartino that wrote the really long one, right? It was Brian Brian Kanisko who wrote the long one. Oh, was it Brian? Brian yeah, he, he said, I think, what you're about to say. Right. Well, and he's well. He was talking about how the um, the the last series he felt the relationships were kind of forced, um, which is funny because I always thought they were really well handled in that series. Uh, he's specifically and I, talking about the final moment with Katara, the final and Aang, with Katara which I thought was, and I was really like, funny. Yeah. You, you, for three seasons, you you did the you know the will they won't they, but it wasn't it didn't feel forced at all because it wasn't really clear what Katara was thinking and. It was just, I thought it was very well done. Uh, so I thought I found that funny because, um, and then they talked about how they didn't want to focus on relationships in the third and fourth season of Korra because they were just like, ugh, you know, enough of that, um, which I also find funny. But uh, but I thought this was subtly done. And the other thing is there was more chemistry between these two characters. I mean, as far back as, uh, you know, the beginning of season three, when Korra and Asami are in a car together at some point, they're having this whole conversation. Yeah, that's you... the first, like, major scene of this, I think. Right, yeah, and it's so like it just and at that point I was I was I had no reason to think it was anything other than platonic, but I was just like they have such great chemistry. They're so much more interesting together than they are with Bolin or Mako or any of that. And I think that's part of the season. And you know we can in a you know we we're gonna have another conversation about the whole season. Uh, but I think that's part of what they did this season is they realized certain characters had, um, you know, a better chemistry with other characters, and that they should maybe stop trying to force relationships where they they weren't working and it was sort of like you couldn't see it until it was on screen and then they're like you know what Bolin and Korra didn't really work on screen and neither did Mako and and Korra and so maybe we should try maybe Bolin and a new character or we could get put Bolin and Vera together that might be a fun combo and as they did that I thought the characters became a lot more interesting they got to do their own thing we liked Bolin this season more than we ever did before and part of that was that they it was new pairings, new couplings, and I think that was really useful. But one of them was Asami and Korra, and I didn't think of anything of it. Uh, and I was also, and I, I did point out in an earlier podcast, um, we were talking about uh, what, you know, we were talking about this, you know, these fans who really wanted this to happen. And I was torn because, I don't know if you remember this, but I said I, I, I worry about the idea that you know, there's. I think there's always that contingency of the fandom that like views. Yeah, they're not. They're not there. They're not interested in in promoting like, you know, spectrum awareness and things like that. You know, sexuality spectrum awareness or anything like that. They're 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 much more interested in, you know, I like these two characters and like, wouldn't it be awesome if they got together? Like that kind of mentality, which isn't, and it's not progressive. It's not anything. It's just you know, it's 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 the Sherlock Holmes thing. It's the Sherlock Holmes thing where every single Tumblr post about Sherlock Holmes has, you know, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and uh, yeah. Martin Freeman, you know, naked, like having having sex. This is also like, apparently that's... a thing of, on Supernatural. I don't follow whatever goes I, on in that fandom, but apparently I, I don't there's a thing there too. Exactly, and there's just all these 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 series that you know, and so it's and it's not based on anything per se. It's just like fantasy, you know, stuff. And now, don't get me wrong, you're free to want any of that. Um, you know, personally, but I just like, you know, I wasn't interested in entertaining that sort of thing. So when I first heard this, I was like, oh, it's another example of that same sort of train of thought. Turns out not so much because um, we have this, uh, I don't know, I think it was just much more interesting, much 
it was more um and now it's been vindicated i think even towards the end of the series if we hadn't gotten any confirmation i would have been a little leery of that theory just because i i just worry that that's you know this assumption that any characters are going to get together who aren't explicitly you know or if there aren't clear hints then it's like well you know this is just wish fulfillment um but well, yeah, I'm very I mean, happy they did it. So it wasn't it wasn't like an I wasn't against the idea. I think I, it's it's a really cool idea. But I was like, why can't they just be platonic friends? Like, what's what's wrong with that? You know what I mean? And and so it wasn't. Um, it was sort of like I I would like Cora and 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 we actually got this and what I was just talking about platonic friends with Mako and Cora and I think that's really cool because that you know became a much more nuanced relationship that I was always worried about. Yeah, that about. is much cooler I think than just the Okay, so I want to break down this whole sequence of events, these final 3 kind of moments, the five last 5 or so minutes of the finale. Right, yeah, yeah. Um because I think we we start with Mako and they're they're kind of send off and I agree with you. Yeah, it's cool that I think it's much cooler to have Mako and Korra be just in a platonic friendship right because I, I think having mako and cora kind of reconcile and and restart their relationship would be that that happens all the time and leaving it does or and leaving cora and asami as platonic friends that also that that happens all the time but it's really interesting that you know and i'm not saying that there aren't plenty of uh, m- you know men and women who are you know, just platonic friends on on television right now. I'm sure there are, um, but men and women. But we've talked about this in the past. Uh, I think with True Detective, men and women tend not to end up if they're both in a show together. There's a very high likelihood that they'll end up together, and so it's, well, yeah, it's, and that's, it's that's very that's refreshing everything. to see them be platonic. And it's well, it's every like this is what one of my uh, favorite professors. Uh, calls the happy heterosexual ending which is just every single movie has to end with a man and a woman making out because otherwise well, it's, how the classi- you know? it's the classical hollywood form exactly yeah and it's yeah. it's in like every movie every right. movie and i love that this is a complete subversion of that and also um i don't know i just thought of this well it's a uh, subversion of it not just because they took a straight story because like you can also do a rom-com a straight rom-com that just happens to have two uh you know same-sex leads well, no, yeah, and that's absolutely true. And I think what's even more, what what really makes this a lot more interesting than just that is this scene with Mako. Because I was so, I was on the edge of my seat in these so final worried. five minutes. I really was. I was so worried. I was worried, like, I was briefly worried, even though, thinking back on this, this was stupid to think they were ever going to do this. Um, when Mako says to, like, I'm not going to set you up with Korra, and then Korra walks up, I, like, for a millisecond i thought that they were going to do that as a gag yeah (laughs) and then i immediately realized how dumb that was but like i don't know sometimes they skew humorous when they shouldn't that's true and you know what i should have been thinking of is that cora is the main character and they would not you know reduce her romantic yeah yeah it's to to a gag and yeah this final scene with mako so this (laughs) the way he phrases it is like they're they're looking at each other and it's, he's in this very dramatic like profile close up and he goes I want you to know and there's a and there's a pause and he says I'll follow you into battle no matter how hard things get but, yeah. and that was hysterical it was so funny because obviously you know it's 
if you're expecting something else to happen there, then that's where it was going to happen. Right, of course. Yeah. Um, and they completely turn it around, and they turn it into something that... It's not just that these two people are capable of just being, you know, close friends. It's the fact that they were in a relationship, and a relationship that formed a really... It was the backbone of the show for a while, or at least of these two characters, of their arcs. Mm-hmm. Their relationship was really or kind of... At least of a the, season and a half, yeah. Definitely. Exactly, yeah. And... To have them end not with restarting their relationship and not with kind of having rejected each other completely, but that they can just be, you know, I I, I think it, it was a line actually in maybe season two where Cora says to him, like, I think, you know, we don't work together. And that seemed, you know, maybe that's kind of a writer <laughs> you know, kind of meta, meta winking at the whole idea that their relationship from a writing perspective, does yeah, it just doesn't work. Like you said, they just they don't have very much chemistry, mm-hmm. and so I think that's cool. And the structure of the ending is it, here's what's okay. I came prepared with a whole like manifesto of um, <laughs> why to defend co- yourself. Yeah, no, why this ending was clearly <laughs> what it was. I have like I have pages of notes. Oh, for crying out loud! Because no, because people over the past couple days have been insisting that it was ambiguous, that it was, you know, they're just friends. And, you know, I, it's everything about that scene is telling you the opposite. And I think the most important one, other than the fact that they're holding hands and looking lovingly into each other's eyes, the most important (laughs) thing is the structure of the ending. And you see this on so many TV shows. Um, when you're leaving a world, when you're leaving a cast of characters for the last time, and you know you're never going to see them again, what a lot of the time you do, what I think not even intentionally, this is just the natural inclination when you're writing something like that, is to do this kind of reverse nesting doll situation where you kind of move outwards with this main character and deal with all the most important things uh, that they've dealt with over the series until you get to the, in the final scene to the most important one. And, um, and when you look at it, what you know, what Cora does at this wedding is she interacts with Mako. She kind of closes off that uh, romantic interest, and they're they're just friends. Then she talks to Tenzin, who is her mentor. Her you know they have a very very close, very important relationship. Obviously not romantic, but still a very you know just from a classic uh, storytelling trope perspective, the the mentor and the student uh, that that bond is is really is really powerful. So they get a scene. And then what the show is telling us is that the most important relationship on this show is between Korra and Asami. Because otherwise, why would you end with it? It's not like, you know, Asami is just some random character and the scene is all about Korra because Asami is talking about her, you know, the emotional pain that she is going through and Korra is comforting her. And they're uh, sharing, sharing things on that level. So just that alone should really tell you and that... The showrunners are... <laughs> I wouldn't call it the most important relationship in the show. I might call it the most important for Korra, though. Well, exactly. That's exactly what I mean. Which, in it's... some ways, is the most important, because she's... But I mean, I being the title character, time, yeah. But it's also Korra now, and not necessarily yeah. Korra. Like, I don't think you could say in season one the most important relationship for her was her friendship with Asami, per se. No, no. You and, and of mean? course, well, like we said, it, it does... It builds over time. Right, sure. Um, which I think is, is done really well. Yeah, Asami wasn't even in the show until... A couple episodes in, um, but yeah. So what 
the the placement uh, alone of that scene is basically telling... well, yeah, and also the the visual parallels, parallels yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, you know, it's, it's, the it's same, telling the viewer same like shot as um as Kuvira yeah, the, and the uh, wedding and Matar and no, Kuvira oh yeah, and Matar. It's the same. Yeah, that they, too, exactly. And, I, and the and, weddings uh, just beforehand with Varric and Julie, it's the same exact position. Right, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they were very... I mean, yeah, I don't have to read all of this now, obviously, because, as we just said, the creators have just both yeah. written posts saying, and I just no, wanna, this was our intention. And I just want to clarify that I, I really... I think this is uh, phenomenal, amazing, and I've actually come around on it a lot, especially, uh, you know, I've had time to gestate. My only... I just want to clarify, my worry was there is... Um, to be blunt, there's a fetishizing of of, of uh, not necessarily lesbian, but lesbian presenting relationships, so they could be lesbian or, or bisexual or whatever. But you know, bisexual, a, Brian Kanitsko reference made a reference to that in his post. He did. So. He did specifically say bisexual in this, but I mean in general, there's a there's this fetishizing like oh yeah, no, in, in our culture mean, yeah. of that, and so I, I think there's an inclination to be like oh well they're you know you know because of this of the way people perceive these relationships these same sex specifically female relationships but sometimes male um in a very like fantasy sexual sort of way um i, I that it turns out that's not it wasn't unfounded there was a lot of uh, seeds here and i i i'm happy that they they worked it in in such a way that they well, didn't come out of the blue so it didn't feel like it was just indulging though that weird subset of fans that are like strange and weird uh it was a very um you know clear well-intentioned subtle uh relationship building uh, exercise that happened over two at least two seasons that really uh i I mean it really showed their friendship on a thousand levels on there you know they support each other emotionally physically literally physically when she's in the wheelchair uh, spiritually, at the end, they literally have a spiritual bond. They're <laughs> going into the <laughs> spirit world. I mean, it's, it couldn't be any any clearer. Yeah, you um, remember the shot where they're, you know, the spirit portal is kind of right, the making a line right there between them, and it's the intertwining like spiral. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, on. yeah, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. They're they're clearly uh, spiritually connected and all of that, and and so um, I was actually thinking about, uh, you know, in 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 Judaism, there's the idea of Besheret, which is the you know the uh, the soulmate, right? So the idea that you have your spirit's half a spirit, and the other spirit is, um, uh, and and so you're the person you meet completes you. You know the you complete me thing. That's yeah. a, and just in general the uh, the um, the soulmate idea. You know it comes from this idea of, um, or at least partially comes from this idea of Bashert, which is you know and and I think that is replicated a thousand times throughout the series, even just with you know obviously Rava. And, Vatu, who aren't romantically involved as far as we know, but they're <laughs> but they're two halves of the same, you know, whole this yin yang thing, you know, and and actually there's an image uh, I'll link to it, but there's an image I, I I think I sent you that has a picture of of um, Rava and Vatu sort of intertwined, and it has a picture of um, Asami and and Korra uh, standing next to each other, and the color schemes are match exactly um, to the spirits. Now, of course, I don't think Asami is the embodiment of darkness and evil and all of that <laughs> but um but but the idea that they you know rava can't exist without vatu and vice versa um they're connected spiritually and i think that there it wasn't completely unintentional to have them you know this blue white you know cora look going on uh and this asami character who has you know red and black you know and they both correspond yeah. with these two spirits i think that was intentional again not because evil and good or anything like that but because they are um they share this very deep deep connection 
And this was a theme uh, we and found And what's funny out. is that if they didn't plan this from the from the beginning, then their costumes just happened to fit <laughs> this, yeah, this thing so. where, like, they, there well, was yeah, no the Rava, there was no Vatu. Is... There was, yeah, the, yeah, exactly. It's, uh, yeah, it was really cool. Uh, the, that, that theme of the kind of the uh, the yin yang personification is, as we found out, has been a theme this entire season. Right. Uh, and that's that's what the idea of that's where the idea of balance, I guess, is coming Comes from. from. Yeah, and yeah. More, more specifically, or at least it's it's elaborated on more with uh, Kuvira and Korra, and we'll, we'll get to we'll get to that kind of revelation later. But that was the moment where I was like, oh, okay, this season is m- better than I gave it credit for. Because <laughs> if they were if they were legitimately doing that all along, and I have I think reason to believe that they probably were, I'd have to look at uh, I'd have to go back through the season and look for more of those uh, the visual parallels between Kuvira and Korra that we get very clearly in this episode. Right. But I'm right, right. I have confidence that they are there. Right. Yeah. No. Definitely. And and it's funny because um, you know there's a there's a lot of uh, commentary. You know, I I Korra became so much exactly what I wanted her to be from the beginning. But of mm-hmm. course, where was the arc if she didn't? Um, but then I would argue, where was the arc of season one, which was supposed to be a miniseries if, you know, she didn't change from beginning to end at all. Um, but that's a separate argument. But now that it's a four-season show, uh, I can, we can pretend like that was intentional all along because now I can see justification for her behavior, say, first and second season versus third and fourth season as she sort of learns and becomes empathetic and has to, you know... I think it's, I don't know, I, it's great. Um, it's just great stuff. And I was, I was genuinely, I was just really happy with this finale. I don't know, I don't know how else to say it. I was just, it's, it's a, it was a great uh, ending to the series. Um, yep. Possibly the franchise. I don't know if we're going to, you know, see any more. But, I guess we'll find um, out, yeah. Yeah, we'll find out, you know, who knows, in 10 years, they might pick it up again. Um, but anyway, so we've, we've jumped way ahead there. <laughs> uh, do you want to, do you want to back up a little bit? Um, yep. To, uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot to talk about. Uh, so why don't we go back to so Day of the Colossus, um, which is these two episodes really go together. I mean they they're like basically an hour long episode. Yeah, it's uh, it's like Sosan's comet was. It was. It is. It is. It's definitely. Um. But it's just like it cuts off midway through a fight. <laughs> there's no. <laughs> uh. It actually when it ended, I was I watched it on TV. Um. Because they were airing it on TV, and yeah. I I didn't realize the episode had ended. It just like the new title card for the next episode popped up, and I was like, "Oh, I guess we're done with that episode." <laughs> uh, so, you know, again, yet another reason why this will work better in um, binge watching uh, or on DVD. Um, so, we have uh, the they apparently they escape, right? We have Volin holding up a rock and and getting them all out, so nobody died. So nope. all that speculation was the only one who was not. even a little hurt was Batar. Right, who we did think, mm-hmm. to be fair, we did suspect, um, and you know he he continued to be kind of thin, but you know he got his little reconciliation with his mom. I guess you know I don't know that we necessarily needed to see that, but we we got it. They had to address it, um, and so there was that. Uh, and then we have uh, the big moments. A little, well, we have we have Varric trying to trying his magnetic pul- magnetic pulse thing again. Which, by the way, uh, mech suits falling over. When uh, they get hit by this magnetic blast, is just the funniest thing. Yeah, I, I was, was going to say the exact same thing. It's always funny. It's always funny, and uh, I know you you were talking about how funny it was last time, but I actually laughed out loud here. It was genuinely hilarious. Um, and then it doesn't work, of course, on the 
Gyclosses, because that would be too easy. Uh, they didn't... Oh, they did explain it. They said it was spirit energy, right? Yeah, because it's running on the vine energy. Right, it's running on the vine energy, so I guess it's it's different. It doesn't work that way. Okay. <laughs> so uh, so we get that, and then we have the big moment where uh, Hiroshi Sato comes back. So I definitely called this. Yeah, you uh, did. Was, <laughs> yep. Because uh, I was like, there's got to be a reason for that. Or at least I was like... I remembered this midway through last podcast, and I said, "Look, Hiroshi Sato was brought in in a very important episode. What was was that? Cora alone, or? Uh, no, it couldn't have been. It was um. What was it the one after that? It might have been that one. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, it was um, you know, it was one of the first episodes, and then just not mentioned again, and then he reappears here, and it makes total sense uh, why they bring him out. Um, but as soon as I saw him. And as soon as, of course, when they hugged or whatever before they got into the, uh, the little hummingbirds, I was like, "Oh, he's he's gonna die. This is oh really? He's, he's dead. Oh, I knew it. It was so clear. I, I didn't was like, know. Oh, I didn't. Because yeah. uh, I was like, you know, unless they like the only way they could have surprised me there is if they for some reason killed Julie or or Varric, and they probably weren't gonna do that. But Hiroshi Sato, uh, I yeah, I was like, he's gonna reconcile. And then he's going to, you know, there's going to be some button or something. He's going to, you know, especially, I mean, it was just, I don't know. It was just very clear, especially as they were getting towards the end. And uh, and you saw the first, as soon as you saw how the mech suit was like swatting at them, I was like, oh, he's going to stay on to cut the hole. And then he's going to get squished. And that's going to be the, and she's going to cry. And it's like the whole thing. And uh, yeah, so I, I saw that coming, but it still got me. It was, uh, I couldn't believe I was upset about a character we haven't seen for three seasons but i don't know it works did you did you like this uh i did and i the reason i really liked it is because it um i didn't even consider it i you know i don't want to say i didn't see it coming but i just right. it it didn't occur to me that that was something that was on the table <laughs> um but the the reason i think it's a really good moment is that it opens that door for the rest of the finale that people can die right you know, we were talking right. Uh, it really last set week. the stakes. Yeah, definitely. We were talking last week about how this show isn't Game of Thrones, and people often like expect that characters are just going to get killed off, and uh, it, it's it's that's never been something I've really considered. You know, it, because it's a, you know at the end of the day, it's it's a Nickelodeon show, and they can't go you know Game of Thronesing all their main characters all the time. Of course, yeah. But um, this moment, and then there were several moments in uh, the Last Stand where I was, I genuinely, I'd completely turned around and I thought, okay, well, that character's dead. You know, they, right. that character's dead and gone. That's what they're doing here because now we've kind of introduced that and we can introduce that through this character like Hiroshi. And it is, you know, it's a, it's a nice moment. It's a, it's a sad moment for Asami. And I feel, I feel bad for her, obviously. She's, she has it real rough through the whole series, uh, specifically oh with regard oh, yeah. to Hiroshi. Um, but yeah, it... It, it, I think it, the importance or the, the the service it uh, it provides for the rest it of the finale the is yeah, just it exactly it, exactly raising the stakes. And also, we see it all happen. That was the craziest part. Like I thought they might cut away or something, and but they just showed her squish a ship like that just happened mm-hmm. on screen. So yeah, no, it was. I thought it was. I thought it was well done. It was depressing, but it was well done. Um, this whole episode, Day of the Colossus, is just, is so cool, and it's it's basically just nonstop. It is cool, and I was so happy that it was Benders against this big, you know, 
giant robot, yeah. like the David Goliath thing. I think that's, I talked about that last time, how, how cool that is as a dynamic and how it's so much better than two giant robots fighting each other. And I was so worried that's what we would get. Um, but it, we didn't, we didn't get that. Um, I like how it was, I like how they basically spent this entire first episode trying a lot of different plans to take it down. Right. Like when we have very early on this first, the Milo plan to throw the paint on the windows, I kind of thought that this was going to be it. Like they were going to, I was like surprised. I was like, oh, they're going to take this thing down early and there's just going to be a lot of other stuff, uh, a lot of other action somehow. But it doesn't work and their plans keep not working and that was, I really, I really liked that well, whole, their plans just the dynamic work, of the, of the Ben But they the slow it down. The, they slow it down. Kind though, of, yeah. And that was I mean, goal. piece by piece, yeah. Yeah, so that was cool. Yeah, exactly. Was really one, cool. you know, they take out the smaller mech suits, and then they, yeah, they. It is kind of like a uh, piecemeal, but piecemeal, it does yeah, feel exactly. kind of like they keep failing over and over, which I, I like. Right? Yeah, they certainly aren't taking it out, but they are. They're doing some damage, and like one of my favorite moments is when, uh, first of all, Korra like zipping around on the airbending, you know, little, little tornado thing. That was super cool. I um, loved the shot. Sorry, I just want to say that go ahead. one of my favorite shots in the whole finale is when. Uh, She's standing on the roof, and just like the line of exploding buildings go oh, off. Oh yeah, that's her. excellent. That was amazing. Excellent. Yeah, really great destruction and, and and stuff in this episode. And uh, the, the other thing I love is when uh, they, I think it's, is it, is it the twins in Bolin who cut the building? Yeah, and and Sue think, and Lin, I think too. Right, right, Sue and Lin, right. So and they all, they all cut that building and like just knocks. The, not, yeah, exactly. That was that the was coolest. Great. I was like, oh my. Well, at first they only show Bolin, and I'm like, he is not doing that. On That's what I thought. Like, I was like, whoa. Because <laughs> that, that would have been the biggest earth bending. More powerful show. than we could have ever imagined. Exactly, exactly. And he got to use a little bit of lava bending, although not as much as we thought he might. Well, it was uh, much less effective than I speculated it might be. Well, it was effective for the moment, but then it didn't. Yeah, it didn't like melt anything, and it turns out it's platinum. The uh, the metal, uh, mm-hmm. everything's platinum, so there was no way of bending uh, to get through that. By the way, the Milo uh, paint shop—that's the same shop that Cora like broke in the first uh, episode. Is it really? Yeah, it is. Oh, that's or awesome! At least I didn't even it notice may or, that. It may or I thought as I was seeing it, I was like, this might be the same. And then someone did a comparison shot of the street. It's the same street. Don't know if it's the same shop, but it is the absolutely the same street. That's great. Um, I'm glad. Which I, is I'm... really cool. I like it when they when shows do like little stuff like that, not like the big, obvious callbacks. Yeah, like that, remember uh, that sometimes yeah, happen exactly. in series finales. But yeah, yeah. like like uh, you know, if Amon had been, you know, <laughs> blood bending Kuvira the whole time, <laughs> <laughs> that would have been oh, what a twist! <laughs> that would have been really weird. I'm <laughs> like, um, if you say so, I'm pretty sure he died. Um, but uh, anyway, so so that was cool, and then we got um, and, and meanwhile, while they're trying to get the hummingbirds work working which by the way really cool idea to get these flying versions of the mechs um i i I thought i mean they talked about it in previous episodes but here we actually see them in in action and i thought it was really cool and the plasma cutter idea um i don't know it's just all of it i mean it seemed obvious you know like obviously they're gonna have to cut their way in and like go from the inside like you know it it just seems logical but i thought it was really cool And, and actually the thing that i i got I was flashing to the whole time was I don't know if you you haven't played God of War have you? No. So in God of War, it's a lot gorier than this because you're actually <laughs> scaling an actual Titan and the Titans are living and so like you're peeling off scabs and like you know like jumping into their like actual body 
cavities. <laughs> so that's it's gross. But um, but it's it was just like that, except this was a metal suit. And so I was, you know, as somebody who's a you know a big fan of that that video game franchise, it's um, it was cool to see this here where they're doing the same sort of tactic, taking down these this giant uh, suit uh, with by invading it. You know, they're like, oh, invade it like a virus or whatever. I was like, all right. All right, enough of the the faux biology, but sure, yes, exactly. That would probably be the best way to do that. Um, and then it ends just as they're scraping. And it, like, by the way, but the reason I was I I immediately thought of that that video game is that there are whole scenes where like there's a hand coming down and like scraping along the leg, like trying to get you, and you have to like evade it or whatever, or jump into a hole or jump into a you know a scab or whatever that you're doing. Um, and in this situation where she's, you know, Kavira like reaches her arm down or the, the, the suit's arm down and they all have to jump into the hole um, before, you know, the hand gets to them. And I was like, wow, this is straight up. Somebody's been playing some video games, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was that was great. And uh, and then it ends right there, right? Yeah. And it's interesting. Uh, I re- I've rewatched the finale a few times and the, the most recent one, I just watched uh, The Last Stand. I like I like Day of the Colossus, but they just kind of want to... Well, I wanted to get to the good stuff. <laughs> um, and most of the good stuff is in The Last Stand, but... Well, I was wondering this whole episode. I was like, how are they going to fit in all of the aftermath without... You know, this whole episode was just trying to stop the Colossus. And then they just pack everything into The Last Stand. So, yeah. Sorry, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> and there's a lot of... Well, they get rid of all, like, the the, the real tertiary... Uh, kind of plot stuff in Day of the Colossus so we get this, uh, the conclusion of the Varric Julie stuff with right, right, right. The, mo- the cheesiest proposal in human history. <laughs> uh, I lo- That line makes me laugh so hard. That he needs to, I need to attach something before you go. I need to attach this ring to your finger. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. And did you see it was a spirit vine? Oh, was it really? The ring. The ring is, I don't know if it's made out of spirit vines, but it's spirit vines. Like oh, it, it, it might be carved jewels of spirit vines, but it, yeah, it's really funny. And we also get Wu uh, becoming a true leader in, in the Oh uh, my gosh. Evacuees. Yes, that, that's in the. That's, that's all in, in Day, that's of, the all in Day of the Colossus, yeah. yeah what did you think of this scene? Because I actually really liked it. I thought it was hilarious. I really hilarious. liked it too. It was, yeah, um, it was really funny. I think it would have been nice to have maybe seen him go to the zoo at some point because I think he talked about it, but we never saw it. Uh, just to get it, like, because we'd be like, oh, more Wu being ridiculous without us. You know, knowing that that was part of the the finale plan, and then to see that play out, because it was kind of like, okay, he can control badger moles with his singing. How does that work again? I, yeah, I, I I was kind of like, you know, okay, if you say so. I bought it. You know, yeah. I bought it. it was, I bought it as a scene that we never got to see because maybe it was supposed to be in the reunion episode, and then it just got cut. I just imagine know? that he, they went to the zoo and he was just singing. Remember, that's what he does, and they and they reacted to it. That was no, that exactly. Was but he seemed to know exactly what to do to get them to attack the uh, to attack Vera's people. That's and so true. that's what I was like. I was like, how did you do that? They had a you very that a bond immediately. Uh, yeah, he seemed to know exactly what, and like he knew. So if you had seen him earlier with the badger moles, it would have been like, like where's he going? Oh, and then he comes back with badger moles. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's you know. That was the that was the reason they showed that ridiculous zoo scene, but we never got that ridiculous zoo scene. There is no ridiculous <laughs> zoo scene, so it was kind of like, okay. But I anyway, I bought it. It was fine. It was fine. Um, yeah. and you you know that he the thing is it didn't feel out of character. It was just it seemed like an ability that we didn't know he had, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, exactly. And and yeah, it was it was funny, and it's also funny that the 
we learn something about the badger moles too. Uh, in you know, not just that that Wu has this ability to control badger moles, but that badger moles can be controlled by terrible singing. Yes. Uh, just just a funny detail. It is a funny detail. I feel like we didn't get that at all. In wait, is that why they were able to get out of the cave in Cave of <gasps> Two Lovers? Oh, interesting. That's Whoa. true because he was. They were singing that terrible song about the cave. <laughs> it just blew my mind, man. <laughs> that would be great if the. I I wouldn't be surprised if wow. that was a if that was a reference to that. Wow, that's the nomads. Yeah, the whoever they. I forget the guy's name, but the secret tunnel song. Oh man, which is hands down one of the best songs in this whole series. Yes, um, one of my favorite. Also, a very very funny moment. Yes, excellent, excellent. But anyway, enough about Avatar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last it, well, and uh, just yeah, just to I guess wrap up the woo stuff he volunteers to be taken as long as they will spare the evacuees and that was the moment where uh he really redeemed himself for being annoying for three episodes he did yeah no yeah, i mean i think he's genuinely done it. a good a good i think he's uh, done leader. it a couple of times but i think he's really shown himself to be pretty cool and yeah um and this and wasn't showboating he... that's the other thing it wasn't like you know he did do that thing last week where he suggested the evacuation and he says he was just doing it to impress cora but this was a genuinely a selfless action, and that's important, I think. Right, right. And they did get, you know, like, somebody was there to report back to them, but he, he didn't know anyone was watching, per se. Yeah. You know, what Pema, I guess, could go back and be like, oh, he was really great during the evacuation, but, yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I liked I liked all that stuff, but I didn't mean to cut you off about the uh, the last stand. You were you were talking about how there was more oh, yeah, good I, stuff happening. Oh, there. that's right, yeah. Um, what I forgot is that they get all that out of the way, and then... If you just watch the last stand on their on its own, those characters just come back in the ending. So Varric and Julie are not in the last stand until the uh, and and uh, and Wu. None of them are in that episode until the wedding scene. Mm. So it's it's interesting that it really does kind of feel like they were just all right. Let's finish all this because we got a lot to do in in the rest of this episode, Day and then they can have their little their little epilogue. Day of the loose ends. Basically, yeah, <laughs> but really well done. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was great stuff. It was really well done. Um, so uh, we have. So what, what? What do we? What do we got going on in the last stand? We got a lot of oh, stuff man. going on here. Where do we even begin? Um, I know. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about the. There's the Mako and Bolin scene because this is. There's got a lot, a lot of stuff going on here. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, how much did you think Mako was about to? kick the bucket in the scene. That's what I was talking about a minute ago. <laughs> That's the exact scene I was, I was talking sure about. I was sure he was going to die. Yeah, no, I was, I was, I was positive they were going to, because it's so... And I wasn't sure if I wanted that to happen. Like, I wasn't sure if, like, dramatically, if I thought that was going to feel contrived or not, because it's like, the brothers or whatever. And it was almost like it subverted my expectation, because I was thinking, this is going to happen, and it's kind of cheesy, because they're like, oh, brothers, and they bro hug, and whatever, and... Then he's gonna sacrifice himself, but he doesn't die. He just he he gets out, and I, maybe that was Nick's, uh, you know, kind of put the kibosh on that. I don't know, but regardless, whoever made that decision, I think it was actually pretty good, because and I have, I've said this about the show in the past that sometimes their censorship has forced even more interesting, more subtle things. They can't show people dying so overtly, although recently they've just stopped yeah. caring. <laughs> but but in general, they they can't show. So like I think Jet became a much more interesting character when they didn't just have him die you know, in, on screen, and, like, you know, it became more ambiguous. You weren't sure what was going on there. And I think they, they've led to more, you know, they can't show, they can't do too much romantic stuff, uh, especially with Asami and Korra. You couldn't, you know, I'm sure they said you can't show them kissing or anything because they would have done that in the finale, I'm sure. Um, and then, you know, yeah, just to jump, just but to it jump made back the, into but that. It, but it made it more subtle. 
Exactly, know, yeah, and it's so. also... I I bought that they wouldn't kiss in that moment, because if they are just embarking on this romantic relationship, they might not. You know, it's not like with the Ang and Katara where it is they, this culmination of these very clear romantic feelings. And they've talked about it in the past, yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. This is, you know, yeah, this has come up before, and there was... You know, it's not... This is like the beginning of, of this of this journey with, with Korra and Asami, whereas with Aang and Katara, it was it, it, also also the beginning, but there was a lot of prelude. And it, I don't feel like, you know, if the two of them had, had made out, if Korra and Asami had made out right then, I would have been... You know, that's fine, but I also think it's totally... It's probably... It probably works a lot better, just based on, you know, who these, who these two people are and the stage of this relationship that they're at that they don't in that moment. Right. No, I agree. I agree. It's, um, it just, I think, and it made their whole relationship more subtle. Like, there was no, you, you know, when they're, when you can be more obvious about, the, you know, I, I think this is, you know, this is true of film in general. You know, they had to do things that were much more subtle in, in say, a film noir. You know, it's, they couldn't show any characters having sex, so they would, they would show them having a cigarette just after. You know, they would, <laughs> they would share a look. Then yeah. it would cut to a different scene, and they'd be having a cigarette, and you'd be like, "All right, well, that's code, right?" So um, you could have these more subtle moments where you're like, "Oh, that's what happened there," as opposed to today, where you get these really long, you know, drawn-out sex scenes that are just you know absurd and over the top and don't really make any sense. And I would actually, I'm gonna throw this in here because I don't, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> Nightcrawler, okay? They could have shown that scene, the sex scene with, uh, you know, the. I don't want to spoil it, but there's two characters who definitely, you know, had a, a one night or multi night stand is not clear, uh, and they could have shown it and they withheld it, just like they withheld a lot of scenes in that. I think that's part of the subtlety of that movie. But anyway, well, yeah, I don't want to get into. <laughs> I actually I agree with you about that about not showing the sex scene in that instance. I really liked, oh really and I yeah actually you know I don't want to get into this movie again. But um, yeah, <laughs> just to I be actually... clear for people who are listening, uh, uh, Josh and I disagree. Uh, pretty severely about Nightcrawler. I loved it. He didn't really like it, but anyway. Oh, yeah. That works, especially because the way that they the way that they reveal it is that um, he is just screaming screaming at her in a later scene, and he right. reveals that it happened, and right. we don't know. We don't know that it had happened at this point, so it's just... It's revealed in a clever way, yeah. Exactly. The, moment, but, the moment lands with a lot more impact because of that. Right, and I think that... So I think it's cool when we get moments like that in general, just in narrative. Um, hold on one second. Sorry, no, it's somebody using sync. Um, okay. I just like it, it. It can be better in narrative, you know, when we get these more um, these more subtle things that uh, these more subtle relationship cues. You know, you can't put. An, uh, you, sometimes you can do things like get a hand on an arm or something, but some even that can be a little touchy, especially with you know. Of course, I don't know what Nick's policy is, but maybe they were like, "Oh, that's too much," or or whatever. Um, so we got this much more subtle, like you had to really look for these little clues and stuff, but you weren't digging because they've confirmed, as I, as we've said, that this is a real thing. Um, and you could show things like Cora blushing, which are very clear, but not um, very clear, but not you know over the top, not over overly obvious. I think it really worked to their to their benefit. Yeah, but um, we were talking about Mako, right? Um, oh yeah, Mako dying. Yeah. This is funny. We are completely again. <laughs> Which is funny, and you he's know, so you were laughing last. You were laughing. Yeah, he really is. You were laughing last uh, episode <laughs> about him dying. Oh yeah, I wanted to clarify that. <laughs> um, I'm just laughing again, just thinking about it. Um, the reason that I was really laughing is, first of all, the presentation of that post, and you can go and, and find that link in the post for our last episode. 
uh, is very funny as it goes frame by frame, and he clearly just kind of poofs out of existence. <laughs> but also just the notion that we had been talking on that episode about how much they'd made Makos, you know, just a complete blank slate and a complete non-character, and I thought it was so funny, the idea that they would go to all that trouble and then kill him. Right. You know, just to, just to drive home how useless he really is. But uh, I will say, in when he gets to do his heroic sacrifice moment, I was genuinely moved, and the direction of that scene is probably the only <laughs> reason I was genuinely moved. Oh, it was so it's, well done, though. It's beautiful, and it it's so, so powerful. Cool, and I also just love, just on a, like, a basic aesthetic level, I thought the way the lightning was handled in that scene, I don't know why it yeah. looked so cool. I think it was because it was the interaction with the purple glow of the vines, I think, which we don't usually see. Usually the lightning dominates the light, the lighting right, of the yeah. scene. But yes, we, the, we get the lightning kind of competing... dominates the lighting. I, I was I stumbled over that. But yes. <laughs> um, no, no, I agree. No, it's it's very cool, and he's you know he's shooting it, and and but he has every intention of leaving too. So it's not like he's like oh I'm gonna sacrifice myself. He's it's more like he's willing to put himself in risk, but he's not like I'm just gonna I'm like want to die now. You know he's like no, and no, I'd like to live, but I also understand the risk associated with this because you know I'm a cop. I'm a what you know it, it was a very cop like moment. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's exactly the Mako that we've gotten for the past two seasons. He's very pragmatic, he's very but also a very, you know, still caring and empathetic person. Uh and kind of buried under this very serious uh detective Exterior, face. Yeah. But definitely. Exactly. In this moment it's it's still it, it works. Even though I haven't cared about Mako in a while, and I think intentionally so, it really works and it's mostly just yeah. The staging of the scene, especially uh, when he's running to the exit and just at the last minute he gets zapped in the heart. Uh, right. That's that. I mean, that's like we were talking about all the way back. Is in, it in the like, heart? Three with the uh, Tenzin death, not death. Um, that's yeah. No, it's right in the heart. Because that's exactly. Isn't that where um, uh, Zuko gets it too? In uh, the Maybe? battle with yeah. I, I, well, he I sort of catches it in his hand or whatever, but. Yeah, he, well, he tries to redirect it, I think. Right, um, but, it's, it's, not but it's right over. Successful. I think it's right over his his heart, though, at that time. Yeah, well, it has to be because he has to like redirect it through his stomach, right? Right. Yeah, something like that. So it's yeah, it's 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 pretty much there. But yeah, it's the gut punch. It's the gut punch. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, as he's kind of lying there with one arm in the escape hatch, uh, you know, lying there unconscious, that's like we were talking about with Tenzin being beat up by Zaheer, that shot and that, you know, the position of his body in that shot usually is is meant to tell us that that character is dead. Mm. Uh, but uh just like with Tenzin, he's not. <laughs> so Right, but know. we get it. We get at least we get that reveal pretty quickly and and Bolin comes yeah. and takes him and yeah, it was great. And you know, I like their reconciliation um and as also we never get this from Mako saying like, "Oh, you were right too" because what Bolin was saying about Kuvira is exactly what Korra says about Kuvira at the end. I don't know. Somebody pointed this out, but Korra literally says what what Bolin said. You know, Kuvira and Korra are exactly the same. Yeah, Kuvira, they, oh, that's right. He does say Kuvira is just like Korra. Yeah. Okay. Oh. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not taking credit for this. Someone did point this out, but he literally said that, and Mako never came back and said, "Hey, you know what? You were kind of right about that." They were doing this all season. They were. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm <laughs> doubting you. <laughs> Well, you know, I didn't know necessarily what was going to happen, but I don't know. I had, I had faith. I had faith in them. You had um, more faith than I did. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and I also knew they were stressed for, you know, time and things like that. That's why we got, like, weird episodes that seemed rushed and 
episodes where nothing happens like this. But uh, but in all in all, I, I could tell that they were doing something pretty cool with this, and you know I don't know, I think it really panned out, and I love the final the final fight, which we can get to in a second. But we do get um, two. Th First of all, I just want to point out uh, just before we get to the final fight, the final encounter, um, a couple of predictions we had totally wrong. No, it's here. It's <laughs> here. Just his oh, yeah, his big moment was uh, what was that episode? Beyond the Wilds. Beyond the Wilds, yeah. yeah. That was his big moment, and that was it, which is fine. Uh, I just thought he might pop in, pop in again later, because that, I think that would have fit. It would have been fine, but um, we also got no Azumi, no Zuko, no Fire Nation, um, which I think is probably the biggest weird point. I know they're trying to like distance themselves from the previous series, but they made a deal, like a, kind of something of a big deal about introducing Zuko and Azumi and Iroh II, who, did, who was in this. Uh, a little bit, but then they don't have them come back, and it seems like after the promise, the the, the well, there's no the book, time. I think that's the thing. No, no, no. There's no it's time. Just... I. It's just. I just. It's surprising that they didn't show them like showing up to help fight the, like in in the harbor if there was anyone to fight. I don't know. Just at least a moment of them showing up, so you can be like, oh, there's that battle going on. We don't need to see it, but we know they showed up at some point, um, or something. I don't know. It just seemed kind of weird that they introduced them. They even named this Fire Lord, and then they just. It's like, well, yeah, they're not going to get involved. So that was a little strange, but it's fine. Um, I didn't have a problem with it. I just thought it was. Uh, and then the other thing is we didn't get um, uh, the only character who had who didn't have time to shine in this finale was uh, Janora. I think. Is it Milo who saves Tenzin when he's falling? Yeah, Milo saves Tenzin. Milo and, and Milo Iki, has the Iki paint idea. Janora. And Iki grabs Janora, right? And so Iki has a little moment there. But Janora doesn't get any moment. And it's funny because the last two seasons, she's been the one who saved everyone, basically, uh, including Korra. So I find that I found that kind of funny. Um, but also cool because it got kind of, you know, I was like, oh, is Janora going to come in in the last moment? Uh, and so, yeah, no, I thought all of those, those little predictions that, you know, turned out not to be a thing, uh, I think it actually worked in the favor of the show. They, they did their own thing. As often happens, we often have these elaborate theories, and they just do something completely different. <laughs> um, but I think that's yeah. That's and good. the the, uh, the old characters didn't come back, so you were wrong, and the spirits didn't come back, so I was wrong. <laughs> yes, exactly. They really they really wanted to close that off as an option. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't think uh, I didn't necessarily think that the old the uh, the older folks were going to come back. I just thought that it might make sense to have something with them to show up you know maybe in an epilogue or something like that but the way they did this epilogue was very different and also of course i was far from expecting them to do this <laughs> this cora and asami thing um by the way something that's i just want to bring up before we, uh, before we do the kuvira and asami thing you were talking before about mako and um where you, how she talks to each one of these people before she talks to asami yeah. um and it was so funny because it not to i it sounds like I play video games all the time. I, I like barely play video games anymore. <laughs> but uh, in Mass Effect, uh, or really any Bioware game, if you've played Bioware games, um, there's always romantic subplots that you can you can do if you talk to certain party members. You can get them to say certain dialogue options that you know are kind of romantically skewed. And as you pursue those options, more romantic options pop up that are even more obvious. And it was so funny because in this final moment, it's like, 
I imagined Korra as a character, as me, like, playing a Bioware game. Like, she's talking to each one of her party members, and, like, each one of them is giving her a set of, like, you know, increasingly more, like, or each one of them, you can see, like, how platonic versus romantic the conversation is getting. And, like, with Mako, I'm like, oh, no, don't go over, like, that threshold. And then with um, Asami, as each line came out, and, like, she was going down those paths, um, it's just, like, more of those conversation you know, dialogue options opened in my head, and I was like, "Oh, this is the romantic sub subplot. This is this is it. This is the uh, romantic interest. Um, you have to you have to like continue down this like conversation path so you can get like the full ending of the game." <laughs> um, and so, like, I thought it was so funny because it seemed it it just read to me exactly like those those games do, and those are known for being uh, quite well written and and everything. So I was I was jazzed about that, but I just thought it was funny, and that's when I was like very sure that they were doing this romantic thing because you could tell just by each line of dialogue that say Korra had with Asami that you know or like with Mako I was like oh is it romantic is it romantic and then you know with the you know I'd follow you into battle like that's a very you know I'm a friend I'm a supporter you know kind of comment and then with Asami it got of course much more romantic and so yeah I thought that it's funny that you picked up on a similar sort of thing it's just my my frame of reference was a bit different yeah it's it's um yeah, exactly. Yeah, I haven't played. Uh, I haven't played Mass Effect, but I know exactly what you're talking about with the uh, the dialogue and that scene. Is every to me the the way that I kind of sort of escalates. Is, it almost escalates. You know. It's yeah. Like well, it's, it's like every single line they're narrowing it down, and right. that's not. There's mostly because there's this ticking clock of like there's 60 seconds left in the episode or whatever. You know, there's only you know what are they. Uh, leading up to here. Well, so every line every becomes line, more important. Yeah, as, as with the, every line that the two of them say it becomes, like... Closer to the last line. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Clearer and clearer what they're actually going towards. And after, you know, it, it was... I think, it's, for me, as soon as Asami showed up, I was like... And because of what I said earlier, I was like, oh, they're going to, at the very least, imply it. Uh, and they they certainly... They did Went more than imply it. beyond that, yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, so anyway, I didn't mean to jump to that. Uh, let's <laughs> skew back, because uh, we've got this big finale, which I thought was just so cool. Um, because this final fight, because it, it was all over the place. It went from point A to point B to point C to point D, um, all over the city. And it, and it still didn't feel like, um, you know, this is probably going to piss people off. I don't care. I don't like Akira. Have you seen Akira? Yes. I'm not a fan either. I, I, I just, the first half of it's so into, or maybe the first quarter. So it's good drama, really, really, really clever, like, well done. It feels like almost like a live-action movie, which maybe is not the point. It should be animation, you know. Um, but then as it as the, as the movie goes on, it just becomes, like, uh, you know, people yelling at each other and, like, psychic energy, which is not fun to watch because it's just people blasting each other with, like, brainwaves. So it's just things flying everywhere. <laughs> You're like, uh, I guess this I guess this is interesting. I don't know. Um, and just, like, devastation everywhere. And, and that goes all over this. So anyway, there's a lot of, like, anime and things like that that tend to get caught up in the destruction and, like, the screaming and, like, this the ridiculousness. None of that uh, in this. This was all... Everything was decided on clearly. Each point was... Um, Every every part of it was 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 built up. You even caught one of them before we ever saw the finale, uh, when Kuvira. You were talking about the gun, and yeah. how she had to steady herself with the gun. Yeah, the arm. The arm, right? And that was exactly we got that exact thing in the in the uh, Spirit Wilds, uh, where she can't control the the gun when she fires it uh, because she doesn't have a giant metal suit <laughs> to help her. Uh, so and, I thought, oh, yeah, and we also get that great. 
I, again, one of my favorite shots. First of all, when they're all like in in the at the very end of the previous episode, when they all kind of leap off uh, past the camera onto the uh, onto the Colossus. Right. That was awesome. Uh, I, I saw that. I have the GIF of that on Tumblr. <laughs> it's it's I, I keep. I just watched a loop of it a couple days ago because it's just so cool. <laughs> and yeah, and when when Lin and Su Yin just walk into the uh, into the the arm and just start ripping everything apart. Oh yeah, that, that was, was great. great. She's like, we can do a lot more. We can do a lot of damage in here. Yeah, no, definitely. Just, yeah, that was n- great. N- holding back nothing, just like yep. tearing everything. It's it's great. That was great. And um and the the loading cartridge thing that was that was a thing that they helped to dismantle, which is what I thought um they might do. Uh, so that was cool. And then we have a so I jumped ahead to the spirit wilds. But we have this, I think probably one of the coolest fights. I was worried, right? We were both worried about. Korra and Kuvira oh, yeah. fighting. It's so fast. I have to rewatch it. It's I awesome. really, I, I, I've got to rewatch it because I, I like don't even know what happened. It was just every, <laughs> everything. It was like a Matrix fight, you know. In the Matrix, it's, it's. I loved watching. Like I, the Matrix is one of my favorite movies, and one of the best things I think about the fighting in that is, aside from Keanu Reeves and his weird like robot karate, because <laughs> he loves doing martial arts in movies now, and like he's done a lot since. But he's just got a very like weird stiff <laughs> uh, mannerism about him but it works in a you know he's a, in a computer system so it's kind of like all right um but he when he's fighting when he's fighting like agent smith or whatever they're both predicting what the other one's going to do and so there's this it's 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 just short of feeling like they choreographed the fight but but more than you know they're sort of making it up as they go along it's like very calculated it's like a chess game of fighting where every move is a counter move to another counter move to another counter move, and that was this whole fight. Especially, you know, there's that slow motion sequence where where Kuvira um, like hurls a piece of metal at yeah at yep. Korra, and that was I mean, and this is why great. this this fight is so much better than their than, than their fight in uh, the Battle of Zaufu, which was very much the opposite of that. It was basically like as like I've kept saying the same handful of moves kind of over <laughs> and over. Right. There, this fight was just building on itself. And, but you know yeah, what? Maybe there was a meaning to that. You know, she keeps trying the same thing again and again, and it doesn't work. And well, and also like, which is what she to, was doing. Which is what she was doing, like in in all of avenues of her life, not just that fight. And that fight takes well, that fight takes on a lot more significance when now that we know kind of what the whole point of Kuvira was, which is that she's supposed to be kind of the dark version of Korra. Right. Uh, so I think maybe I will go. I will certainly rewatch this season and see if I have a different feeling on it. But I think that fight might actually work a lot more now, knowing that that's what they're well, going for. It's two things. It's two things. It's one her trying the same thing over and over again, and and expecting something different to happen for some reason. Because um, she keeps trying the same tactic. I'm like, if it's not working, try something new. Uh, so that's the first thing. And the second thing is maybe it's um, you know part of it is just emotionally she feels like Kuvira is doing her job better, and so she's also beating her in the fight because in real life she's beating her at being the avatar. Or doing the avatar's job. Yeah, and that's and I think we we talked a lot about the kind of the uh, the spirit Korra vision. Oh yeah, and we were kind of uh, baffled by its appearance in that at the end of that fight when Kuvira kind of turns into it. Right. And obviously now we know the reason is that something inside of Korra is telling her this person is like you. You need to understand this person. You can't just you know kill this person or, or defeat right. this person by beating them up. You need to learn about this and person empathize, because they yeah. are you. Exactly, and, and learn and learn to yeah, empathize with them. So yeah, that fight, I hope 
uh, upon upon rewatch will work a little more for me. I certainly expect that most of this season will work, work a, lot, a, <laughs> a lot better for me when now that I've seen what they were building to. Because I, we didn't talk about anything kind of like this uh, thematically, I don't think, in terms of the two of them kind of mirroring each other. But, um, oh, oh, wait, I'm sorry, I was just looking at my notes. Um, <laughs> my notes for this, they're at the beginning of their fight, I have uh, Korra Super 8, when she's kind of bursting through the hatch. Remember that, tra- <laughs> remember that trailer yeah. for Super 8? Yeah. Uh, I remember that. That was uh, so cool, though, Come, her coming into that. I was like, oh, you are so screwed, she's yeah, bursting that through was, that. Yeah, just the, uh, <laughs> that was great. Perfect way to open the fight. And then uh, I have Liquid Metal written in all caps. Because, holy crap. Could she not have been a final boss more? I mean, right? wow. Final it's boss. Like, like, and, and, like, this is not any specific video game. This is every video game from, like, the 80s through the 90s. Just, like, the, <laughs> the like, oh, nope, nope. She's gone on to, like, like phase two where now she has, like, things floating around her that she's going to use to try and hit you. <laughs> I mean, it was just so, it was so funny to me. Now, it really was cool in context. You never see that, you know, in a, in a real thing because you're kind of like, well, what's the practical reason for that? In this case, it made a lot of sense. I made perfect sense, and I was wondering what those kind of what those rolly like like the, you know, when everyone had a mouse on their computer and didn't just have a laptop, right? Uh, they kind of you know the ball mouse roll that you would use to roll around. That's what it reminded me of, and I was kind of wondering <laughs> what the. Uh, I, I mean, I assumed it was just metal, but I thought it, when, as soon as she kind of swooped it out and it was liquid metal, first of all. I love that there are 15 minutes left in this entire series, and they are still inventing cool new ways to to use bending. Oh yeah, not just in fighting, but just you know practically. Uh, liquid metal is, I mean, well they use you it. see it and you're like, duh. Well, you but saw the mercury like, before too. From uh, the that's venom, true, but that was more like that wasn't in combat, obviously. It that wasn't was in just... combat. No, you're right. You're right. But I mean, it was. We have seen liquid metal before, but yeah, it, it sort of was a new thing. Also, I love how she comes out of the uh, hatch and just immediately knocks the two guys. Like I thought her his yeah. her lieutenant might be a problem. Like the like Amon's lieutenant was kind of tough to beat for a lot. Mini boss, of... yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a mini boss exactly. But nope, just comes and knocks him out. Mm-hmm. That was it. Oh, and you know what? I just uh, when you said that about the mercury, I just realized that it's interesting that she is fighting liquid metal again in this finale. Yes. She's been kind of fighting she's been fighting the mercury all season that she's been carrying around with her and now Kavira is using it against her. Uh that's probably not mercury I assume because it's poisonous but Well and also the, the, the metal that she was using was black and mercury was silver. Yeah. But but yeah no it's a, it's 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 interesting to see that uh you know as a rep- another representation of that um struggle. Um and I also just speaking of new bending abilities not really new, I guess, but um, we, we we skipped over this when we were talking about Mako. Bolin, when he comes in, he cuts through the hatch with uh, the Gazan like spinning lava. That was great thing. Okay, so I, it was cool. What is that? Are they rocks? Because if it's metal, why couldn't he just melt other metal? I, I well, was very it was like a little. That. You mean what was the thing that Bolin was carrying? Yeah, that he was like spinning in the air. Oh, I, th- I thought it was like a little bit of earth, basically like. Um, like hardened magma that he's just heating up when he needs to, that so that he can right. Okay, throw right. around. I, that's what I assumed it was. I just, I just wanted to make sure it wasn't metal because I was like, if you can melt yeah, no. metal, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Um, but anyway, getting back to this fight. So yeah, it was just super fast and it was all in a contained space. So that was super cool. Uh, and then, um, and oh, then there's a, there's a brief moment in here where Kuvira isn't using bending at all to fight. She's just using martial martial arts. 
don't know right. if you noticed that. Right, that was yeah. really interesting to see because we never see that. We didn't. We also saw Bolin, uh, Bolin do that just earlier. He, he like, uh, shoulders he, like, that guy. He, like, someone, yeah. Yeah, that was super cool, too. But this was with Kuvira. That was, yeah, that was really cool, and I loved the kind of slow-mo uh, kind of focus. Because you weren't expecting it. It was kind of like when Boomy took on that, uh, took on Gazan, I think, in uh, the last season. He just jumps on his back and starts like yeah him. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but with Kuvira, it's interesting because she's doing a martial arts form that whenever we see that, it's when someone's bending. But she's not. She's just using it for fighting. Right, right. Yeah, no. I actually, very I don't, interesting. I don't actually remember this this sequence, but I'll have to look at it. It was really, was it was so really fast. brief. Yeah, it was really brief. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's clearly they're all adept at martial arts anyway. Um. You would have to be, I guess, yeah. Yeah, at this point, yeah, exactly. And so, uh, yeah, I thought that was uh, that whole fight was super cool. And then the the whole and it explodes, explodes, and they get flung into the, or they get flung into like a crater. And then Kuvira is on the ground, and she's still not willing to give up. Of course, um, I love that Korra is giving her like this final speech, and Kuvira just throws a rocket. Throws her a head. rocket at her head, yeah. Yeah, actually, we, we've, you know, I've seen that in other things before, but I thought it was still cool here. Um, yeah. And then she's still running away and still won't give up and runs into Spirit Wild. But part of it is, but it was all in character, and I thought that was cool. It wasn't just to like, oh, you've seen this before, but here she throws a rock at her head. No, like, this is Kuvira's character. She just is not willing to let it go. Yeah. Um, and they run into the Spirit Wilds, and then she jumps onto the, the gun. What did you think uh, was going to happen when she ran into the Spirit Wilds? Because uh, I, a, a lot of, I mean, I, I've spoken to people who, who were fairly sure that the spirits were going to come and just tear her apart. Well, yeah, when she or something, something, uh, um, Zhao style, you know. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. That's that's the that's the total vibe I got from that because she kind of stumbles in there alone and she's refusing to turn back. Right. And we've just we it's been established that the spirit vines have a mind of their own and can you know attack people. And now they can finally get their vengeance on the person. That's what I thought was yeah. going to happen. But I liked that she you know grab uh, gets up on the on the gun and it's just sucking in all the spirit vine energy from around it and it's uncontrollable. Right. Right. Yeah. And that was the, well. It, she fires it, and it's like I think they had a shot in it she knew it had still it must have yeah but it was absorbing like well it took me a while to figure that that out because i was like why is it still firing and then i saw all the the vines were pink and i was like oh it's wow that's intense so that was really cool and then um we have this scene and okay so this is one of my favorite things about this finale we have this scene uh where it's it's firing all over the place she can't control it which is you know i'm sure metaphor etc but um (laughs) uh might even get into is the gun Batar Jr. because it's kind of phallic and all right, but that's a whole separate oh. thing. <laughs> she couldn't control it, and now it's you know gonna be her demise anyway. But anyway, so the so uh, then she hides behind Cora, and then Cora just Avatar magics the laser beam right, the spirit vine. She energy bends. She energy, ooh, she energy bends. Maybe that was what she got in uh, the Spirit Wilds, right? That was the uh... yeah, that was that was the read, and it you know, we were kind of speculating on how energy bending would play into the finale because we both and some people that... thought that this might be the the, the thing. Um, yeah, we we both agreed that uh, you can't beat Kavira by taking her bending away. So we were wondering how how that would happen, and also how uh, energy bending would play in. And this is how, yeah, she saves Kavira. By bending the energy. And Kuvira's just like, oh man, 
I have no. She's like, well, I'm, I'm tapping out. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, but it, you know, somebody said somebody took, uh, like, made a gif of that, and it was like, this is, you know, the face of someone who's just seen a god, you know, in action, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, realizes that her super weapon literally isn't even enough to take out, you know, the avatar because the avatar is just pretty much all powerful. Uh, so that was cool. But what I thought was cool about this, now, of course, you've just brought up precedent for this, but. What I thought was cool is that if you didn't know, if you hadn't thought about this, the energy bending from earlier in the season and you were just coming in uh, with no preface, unlike Sosin's Comet, there was no deus ex machina, like last minute uh, thing that they introduced and then was took effect. She just does it. And they just are like, you know, you got to deal with, you know, you got to deal with it to quote Korra as a small child. <laughs> you know, she just, you know, you can wonder... How is she able to do that? Why didn't she just do that earlier? Why isn't she, you know, what... They're doing it. You know, she's doing it. She's... It, it happened. <laughs> she just does it. There was no, like, build-up to it. She just does it. And I think that was really cool because it, it's it's a very different approach than the last season or the last series where they had to, you know, the Lion Turtle come in and explain this whole thing and then he went and did it to Ozai and, you know... And it's also important because... Which was, by the way, I, it's fine. It's just I always had a problem with that. And here they don't even... I would have preferred if Aang had just did, done that in the last scene of Sosin's Comet without any preface because... I don't know if I would have liked that. I would have liked that because, because it it's more—it's so much more complex. It's like it's well, so much more now. It is of because of, well, no, it is now because of the um, the lion turtle. Uh, you, you maybe you have to maybe you would have to talk about it or something. And now the lion turtles have become a thing. But I think as far but I think in that moment in uh, Sosin's comment, it would have been okay because the whole series is about you know him balancing all the elements, balancing all these things, him being having a pure spirit we've seen enough that it could have worked um but it, anyway it just felt like they had introduced something and then suddenly even though there was more context for it than just the lion turtle showing up but because they had the lion turtle show up in the finale it felt like that was even if he had cheaper, just yeah it felt cheaper and so here we didn't there was like there might have been this thing about energy bending from the spirit wilds episode uh beyond beyond the spirit wilds but that's it you know, there was no, there was no setup to it, and I, so it didn't feel cheap. It felt, I was like, cool. You know, that makes. Well, the sense. reason that it 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 was twofold. It's the the impact that it had on me. The reason it worked for me, because first of all, I think it made perfect sense. Because even if it's not energy bending, I think it is meant to kind of parallel. Like we talked about all the way back when the spirit weapon first went off, uh, the sound effect is the same as um, Vatu's. Uh, blast attack. Right. It's the exact same sound. So this is obviously meant to mirror that uh, the uh, Rava and Vatu kind of eternal uh, conflict that she's holding back, that she has the ability to hold so back maybe, this attack. It just makes sense, because, you know, she is So that Ra- So you're saying Rava, in this case, is, is directly... Or, yeah, or not, if not, even if not literally, then just metaphorically, that's what we're getting at here. Sure, yeah. Is that this is, that's the reason why she's able to do this is because of that. There's some kind of connection there, whatever it is. And the other reason it really works is that they haven't explained it and presumably Korra doesn't know she can do this. So she jumps in front of Kuvira not knowing if she'll be able to save, to save her. of them. Yeah. And that's what makes, that's really what and makes that one powerful. It, it is, it, that's a beautiful point. And I think maybe that, you know, on a, just on a practical level, that might have given Rava the energy to, because she's still recovering probably from season... Well, partially from the poison and stuff from season three, but still from season two. 
Um, and so, you know, whatever Cora does in like the good vein probably gives her a little bit of extra boost, you know. Uh, so that probably helped. So your second point helping your 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 first in that regard. Um, but whatever it was, yeah, no, I thought it worked in a lot of levels, and yeah, she she jumped in front of her, just, and and so Kuvira is is amazed at the power she's seeing. She's like, wow, I don't even know what I was thinking to even attempt to to, to fight this person, but also she tried to save me, um, and even more so without knowing that she could survive it. That's crazy. I mean, and that's and that's what what finally gets her to turn around. Um, and also, I thought that I I thought that they were both dead. Uh... Really. Yeah, because the whole thing explodes and the spirit portal appears, and it has the kind of like we talked about earlier, the intertwined like DNA. And that strands. was definitely a um, that was a nuclear blast in the spirit wilds. You yep. were right. You were right. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I, I was. Uh, you thought that maybe I, I thought that, was, that like the, okay, that was so I, is this what they're doing? That the you know the spirit portal opens, and it, I thought that would be kind of poetic that these you know the, these two mortal enemies uh, die together, and it opens you know this this you know, portal to the... It just seemed kind of, you know, nicely... Uh, a nice kind of bookend to the series. Right. That that Korra would go out that way. But no, they were just... They were fine. They were just in the spirit world, and that's fine, too. Yeah. No, no, it was totally... And it, and it worked, and then they come back out of the spirit world again. I, yeah, I thought this... I thought this sequence was really cool, and, and, you know, she sort of carries kuvira out and now she's in a position of strength that she can carry someone who's sort of weakened out you know and that's kind of a a big moment um and well their whole conversation in the spirit world was really you know like i was talking about this is the moment that redeemed the season for me in a lot of ways that this kind of it it was almost like a it was almost like a twist for me just because i wasn't even considering that this is what they were doing and i was for some reason you know either they were intentionally being super subtle about it to have, have this moment, or I was just kind of missing it. Um, but this idea that, first of all, starting the scene with the whole Korra uh, mirror image, which I think is from Beginnings? I remember from yeah. somewhere. Yeah, it's from Beginnings. And then uh, the other Korra turns into Kuvira, and they start talking about... Um, <laughs> this is another moment where I was like, are they going to... For some reason, for, again, so the stupid brief thought I had... Uh, that immediately went away. I was like, are they going to reveal that, like, Kuvira is her long-lost twin? Oh, my because gosh. Because that would be dumb. <laughs> um, because, yeah, because, well, Korra is like, yo, you, you must have Do you have, so like, hard. a bad writer just sitting in your head? I do. Coming up with terrible ideas? I do. Well, it's, it's it was it, the instant after Korra said it must have been so hard being an orphan, I was like, oh, that's not what they're doing, is it? Um, that, yet, like, Kuvira was taken away from it. I, I just for the briefest of moments envisioned a finale <laughs> where, that, where that was where they were going. You've and had too long moment, to think about this. <laughs> in that moment, it felt legitimate. <laughs> but it was obviously, um, it went away very quickly thereafter. But yeah, this moment is so, uh, it's just a beautiful scene where they, you know, not only does uh, Korra have to admit that that uh, she has, she's very similar to Kuvira, but Kuvira has to confront it, so the villain actually also gets this moment of emotional growth. The villain isn't just a conduit for the hero to grow emotionally. The villain is a character who has their own emotional arc and who also has to, you know, go through these these same things. Mm-hmm. That's such good writing. It is good writing. It is good writing. I would, the one thing I would say is I'm a little concerned about Kuvira as a character because she doesn't... Um, or I'm not concerned, a little disappointed with Kuvira because we never get a real explanation for why she decided she needed to have the Republic... Have Republic City like it, it, there was no like explanation for her 
Well, okay, there was two things. I would say there wasn't any direct explanation for why she was so bent on getting the colonies back. And I'm calling them colonies because I'm still living in the Avatar Lost Airbender universe. But, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know why she was still thinking. Like, I don't know what it is about her. But then, on the flip side of that, we do get a little bit of explanation when they talk about specifically her being an, an orphan. This was all, like, compensation for that. And Korra says that specifically. Yeah, exactly. There is a... Um, and, and I did like that this is something that we knew about Kubira, and it's not like... They're just introducing this now, now so yeah, that we can yeah. retroactively explain why she did all this. This is, you know, we knew who Kuvira was, and uh, we've had her past explained to us by Su Yin, and now we get it put in context from, you know, not and not even someone like putting it on Kuvira, like like uh, an epilogue scene with Tenzin explaining to everyone, like that terrible last scene in Psycho. You remember? Oh that? yeah, <laughs> with the doctor explaining why uh, Norman that scene, did everything he did. And he was that like, yep, scene well, this is, is he, so he was crazy, funny. and let me break it down. That was uh, so funny. I just saw it, that again. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I they totally could have done a scene like that with Tenzin, or even with Korra, where Korra was like, "Yeah, I think Kuvira was doing this because of this." But we get to hear it from Kuvira herself, and hear Kuvira say, "Yeah, how could I, you know, let my nation be hurt the way that I was hurt?" Uh, and the the reason that this uh, kind of this quest really resonated with her was because of that. And again, that's good villain writing, and the show has always been good at that, but that's just a, another great example. It is, it is. I just, I think it could have been a bit clear. Like, I'm, I'm still like, okay, so you're an orphan, why do you need to conquer the United Republic? You know what I mean? Like, that's that, still a yeah, little I mean, bit Yeah, I mean, that I could just chalk up to, like, you know... She got caught being, up in it. Yeah, exactly. You know, being very colonial and being... Or, or imperial, really, is the better word. Uh, being very, like, yeah, I want to... Now that, yeah, I mean, maybe she was just thinking, hey, I'm on a roll. Uh, might as well give it a shot. Right, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, so yeah, I thought this was I thought this was really cool. Um, I think the third spirit portal opening was cool as an idea in the middle of a public city. Um, I think it was cool that Ryko said, we're not going to build there, we're just going to expand outwards. Um, that was kind of an interesting choice. Uh, what did I don't, you make of that? That's... It was a specific moment, it, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, no, no, you're not interrupting. I'm, I'm thinking about it now. I, I still don't know why I, I found that so interesting, but I think it's... Well, they make a point of it, yeah, and it seems like it has some sort of thematic... Uh, well, maybe it's the idea right just... Maybe, it might be just as basic as, you know, industrializing everything. You know, Ryko before was very anti-Vines. <laughs> that was his <laughs> platform. I, vines suck. <laughs> Cora can't fix them. He, she sucks. Vines... Down with Vines, up with Ryko. That was his <laughs> political campaign. So maybe if he's like now... You know, not only did he allow the spirit wilds to be a thing, he's also saying, look, the spirit wilds are a thing. Why don't we actually designate an entire area for the spirits? Because, you know, we can't just have this purely industrial environment. We need a, a proper, um, you know, we need a prop to live, really live in coexistence with the spirits. And there's also something that, um, I think something to be said for this is just a sign of the of a progressive attitude and uh, in as we've been talking about in many ways this is a very progressive show but oh this is gosh. also another example of the show kind of saying yeah we're not going to go revisit these old these old ruins and and try to rebuild them just the way we, they were instead we're going to build something new we're going to build on top of them right or exactly. outward from outward from yeah not on top of them you know and and I actually want to just talk about that cuz there's a very specific thing that I think this show is saying about Cora that I want to uh, address 
what they say here is so everyone was expecting you know because i think even the creator said you know you have to expect for at least season three they're not gonna she's not gonna be able to talk to her previous lives she never gets back her previous lives like we don't we don't hear any reconnection with the other avatars and i think that that's a very important thing to say because Mm -hmm. um you're talking about you know not building on old ruins but building outwards from there Korra has done something different than every other avatar uh, and even even Tenzin even says this in the in the final moments with her he says you know you've done more than some avatars have done in their whole lives um she made a decision that was against what Juan had originally done as the first avatar his first big action was to separate <laughs> Rava and Batu <laughs> uh, which was a terrible choice and then did he close the spirit portals uh yeah I think he must have it was it was him right yeah right I'm pretty sure so I think he does. But anyway, the point is is that, you know, she opens them. She, you know, she can't re- rejoin, you know, Rava and Vatu, like, the you know, the way they were before. But, you know, she makes this huge decision about the spirit portals. And, uh, you know, that kind of paradigm shifting thing couldn't happen with previous avatars. Like, every avatar has to do something a little, you know, Aang didn't do what, what Roku did. Roku made bad decisions and, like, they didn't do the same thing that Yang Chen did or that, um, that, uh, Oh, what's her face? Uh, Kiyoshi? Kiyoshi. Yeah, she didn't do the same thing that Kiyoshi did. And so um, there was that, but it was sort of like iterative, whereas Korra could step out of that paradigm altogether and say, look, I'm going to do something totally different. You know, it's sort of like, not to, not, not to make this political, but, you know, if, you, if you're within like a Democrat, Republican, you know, system, to step out of it entirely and say like, I'm not interested in even necessarily the democratic capitalists you know whatever to step out of that all all together and say like oh i want anarchy or whatever to bring it back to the red the red lotus it's hard to do that if you're coming from a long line of people who have always done it a certain way even if there was variation it was all within the paradigm of no we wouldn't open up the spirit portals that's a terrible idea we wouldn't you know do any of the things that Korra has done in this season so i think it's really cool that they state you know she doesn't get her past lives back because this is it this is her making a statement that she is reestablishing what the avatar is and does for the world. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then we talked about, Oh, it was so long ago now. Uh, the last time we talked about the idea of her getting her past lives back in this final season or right. in the series finale. Um, I had been hoping for it personally for a yeah, long time. Yeah, I remember. I remember us talking about it. It was really early in season three, I think, that you were really hoping that she would kind of get to reestablish that connection. I don't remember exactly what I said. I was. <laughs> I don't remember if I was. I don't remember if I was against it, but I don't. I never really thought it was going to happen because it felt to me like exactly what you just said. So much of Korra's character has been that. That's so vital to Korra's character that she doesn't have access to her past life. She just ha- the only person she can really rely on. To is make herself, decisions yeah. is herself. Whereas Aang, you know, Aang always had to kind of struggle. I mean, there were whole episodes about Aang kind of struggling to be able to talk to Roku, for example. Um, you know, to get to the temple on the right day and stuff like that. But afterwards, even in the comics, he can just talk to them anytime he wants. But Korra doesn't have that lifeline and the idea that, you know, it's this, it's this metaphor of, of building, not rebuilding the ruins, but building something new outwards. Uh, and kind of what we were talking about for a while, we kind of thought the arc of this season would be that she was going to be the last Avatar, and the idea that the Avatar is no longer relevant to this world, but in fact, it's it's really the opposite. She is kind of the first Avatar in a lot of ways. She's oh, yeah. the first in a new Avatar cycle. And that was and... intentional to pit her, you know, to, to literally exactly. um, juxtapose her with Juan. Yeah. 
you know, so, in wow. season two. It, that's a great, great art. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. So uh, we've got environmentalism, you know, we got the spirit stuff going on, which was always a theme in this series. We've got a little bit of sexuality stuff going on. We've got, you know, about balance and empathy. And, and you know, I think, actually, let me, I'll pull it up. <laughs> we have the creator literally outlining all the major things that happened in this series. <laughs> uh, let's see, what do you say? Let's see, genocide, child abuse, death of love, loved ones, and post-traumatic stress, just to name a few. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is this is just a, an amazing series. So uh, I just want to just really emphasize that I think it's, it's really cool that we have a series that literally featured a female uh, spectrum person of color. I mean, wow. Right? On a kid's show. I couldn't believe that the you know it because especially in the beginning like you you don't really necessarily think of the show as you know about people of color per se, uh, but because I mean so oftentimes when you draw characters like Tenzin for example like he's supposed to be, I guess they're supposed to be Tibetan but like they they come off as white I mean it's and also you know you hired J K Simmons to be the voice actor that's but, true yeah. and 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 to be fair Janet Varney who plays Cora is. Um, is white, but um, you know the darker skin tones. Uh, the the fact that not that that's a, a precursor to or a a requirement to be a person of color, of course, but um, the darker skin tones. The fact that she's you know that she is at least bisexual or you know bisexual, not straight. Assumption we could make, yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, I guess you could be pan, be any pansexual or anything. Is it queer on the spectrum? And yeah. so. Uh, there's that, and and the fact that you know she's a woman, which is also a huge thing um, for an animated. Show. How many animated shows do you know with a female lead that aren't like you know? There's like Word Girl or whatever on PBS, or um, great superhero, great, just the best, yeah. really. Uh, <laughs> I actually do like. <laughs> oh, really? I, like I've mentioned on the show in the past, I have a little sister who, and she watches Word Girl, and Word Girl is a fun show. Really? Oh, um, okay. All yeah. right. No, yeah, well, there you um, go. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wouldn't watch it regularly, but it's you know for what it is. Yeah, it's fun. But well, like I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of like the truly great kids shows. Like I think I think Arthur um, was always one of the best. But again, it featured a, a male protagonist, and I think you just you just don't very often get female centric yeah, shows. Think of, off the top of my head, I can't think of not well, any anime. Well, because shows. the really the really complex, cool, dramatic, action oriented shows tended to be feature a male protagonist because the idea, as I've pointed out in the past, that. Giancarlo Volpe talked about that DC believes and all these other people believe is that uh, female viewers don't buy action figures and so there's no point in making a show with a female lead because it's going to be aimed at women and and uh, boys won't watch it and so there you won't sell any, to- sell any toys. So what's the that. point? <laughs> it's a, well, it's that's, but that's how kids shows... reasoning is always so dumb because it's like well maybe if you made a show with uh you know a woman who is an action hero girls would buy the action figures of her. Yeah, maybe. You, well, first of all, let's get that out of the way that that girls don't buy action figures. I'm like they're like well numbers aren't there. I'm like yeah, how many shows do you know that even fit that category though? Like how do yeah. you even know that? Make the show. And then we'll or, see. Or sell other things. If they won't buy action figures, sell them other things that, you know, like maybe. Yeah, not that that's a good reason to begin with. Maybe sell other things. And then, yeah, get all that out of, out of the way. Why is your first priority to sell toys? I know that's, I, I, like, that's a, like, sort of a rhetorical question because, of course, because that's how they make money. But, you know, there's, there are Breaking Bad action figures, but, like, Breaking Bad made money off of selling ads on its, you know, and all these other things and selling DVDs and things like that. Like, they just have a different idea of what they want their show to be. Um, 
and so yeah, it was just it's it's just frustrating. But I think it was a huge deal that it was it was a female character. The show featured ex- extremely strong female leads in and all the, all supporting the way back to the and villainous um, roles. All the way back to the beginning, when the creators have said that Nick didn't want to do the show because a, a woman was the main character. Yeah, yeah. You know, like go if you go all the way back there, which is still it's surprising. I mean, having seen the show. It's so it's it's even more surprising that they would have rejected it, but uh, just based on that reason. But it's still just what a what a horrible thing for an executive to say. Like, yeah, we're not going to do this show because it's. But they've done it in the past. Man. They've done it in the and past. I'm sure, oh, I'm sure they've I'm sure they've done it so many of shows, times. So many and shows. Never have, heard of it. Yeah, exactly. So many shows have been in that boat, and so um, it, it's it's just it's amazing to see that and then you know they were able to you know within these last two seasons they were like you know maybe this is our last hurrah and you know i really i, I really encourage people to go read um um uh, michael dante di martino's uh post about Cor- it says korasami confirmed that's the name of the post it brian is brian kanitsko's is called korasami is canon korasami too korasami is canon um oh yes and and i i actually Sorry, um, I'll, I'll backtrack there. Um, I, I think Brian Kanitsko's post, uh, Korasami confirmed, is a good is a good post. It's it's kind of short, um, but I really recommend people check out Brian Kanitsko's because it, it's it's so uh, it's so moving. He in every way hits every note that you could possibly want. He addresses every possible concern you could have as a fan, mm-hmm. um, and and one of the things he talks about is, um, you know, he talks about offering you know people you know when people I, people have commented even just on our podcast about you know their struggles with ptsd or there's you know um or with things that the show has helped them with um and you know that's not something necessarily that we can relate to but you know people in representation representation is a huge deal and so i think it's 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 really cool to see this um and the, there was one other thing i wanted to just mention uh what was it Right, yeah. So, and you know, he talks about how children's media is all about, you know, it almost never shows non-heterosexual characters, and um, you know, it's just a huge deal that they that they wanted to make. And he, it was it was a conscious decision because they knew, oh, this is what they were gonna. That was what I say. They didn't want to look back. What is it? He says twenty years. He says, and I didn't want to look back in twenty years and think, man, we could have fought harder for that. Referring to having Korra and Asami. Um, be, being together and you know that's just such a beautiful thing to say because you know people it's a huge deal to to, to step forward you know when the when the time comes like why are you going to be willing to like stand for something and you know in this case they they weren't making any grand claims they were literally just making the character you know not straight you know like that's that's it that was the whole big statement it's not even a big statement in like in the grand scheme of things but it means so much to so many people and i'm so glad that this was in every way a conscious decision it wasn't happenstance it wasn't like oh it'd be cool if we put them together and oh we'll get some points with it no this was calculated in every way because they knew it was important and on a happy note like in my opinion like just as a critic um it happens to be that these two characters were also very uh, they had a lot of chemistry and whatever so narratively it worked but it's just, it's so great to see that this was socially conscious. And I'm, you know, we put our faith in these these creators in 2005, you know. And, you know, however, nine years later, they've come out with this, you know, this incredibly cool, call it subversive, subversive if you want, but definitely progressive show. And it's just, it's phenomenal. 
What I love about these posts, and in particular, well, in particular, uh, Brian Knitz goes just because it's longer. Right. Is basically he's saying every single thing that I thought after I watched the episode, and I never expected either of them to do this. Like, I, I really love these didn't, guys. Yeah. I never, I, ex- I never expected that even that they would come out and and reveal their intentions with the scene. I totally, and we were talking about this before we started. I totally expected them to kind of, or if, if not expected, because I do, you know, I do have a lot of faith in them. But I, th- I thought it would be totally plausible that they would kind of waffle on it and be like, you know, it's it's you know, it's you ambiguous. Be- it's like it's jet. ambiguous. Yeah. You can believe whatever you want to believe that is in the ending, and we don't want to make any grand statements. But no. Not only did they totally come out and, and say, "Yeah, no, these were our intentions. It is unambiguous what was going on, and this, and we we have been building up to it. Watch the show again." Basically, is what they're saying. Right. And, and you know, every sting, every single thing that the, that this guy says is exactly what on I point. Have been, oh yeah, and it's know, also just beautifully. I mean, they're writers what, anyway, exactly. But what it's ideally, written, it's just great. Yeah, yeah it's, it's beautifully expressed, and it's exactly like in in the ideal. This is the ideal world. This is the ideal universe. Uh, and the ideal creator. Just in terms you know? of this post. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it's exactly think really, what it should have been. He makes, you know, I, I would say if there was one thing that I would like change about the series is that um, I think all the voice actors who were chosen for all these roles were phenomenal. They did an amazing job. I love J.K. Simmons. I love it. I might have cast actual people from these ethnic backgrounds or the backgrounds that they were based on. It's so funny how much they spent making the characters and the cultural aspects so accurate but then like sometimes they would hire actual people from like for example um mako who played the voice actor not the character who played who played who played iroh was he's actually japanese um so that was you know that fit but not a lot of characters were like dante bosco i don't think is japanese and clearly janet janet varney isn't inuit or anything like that so there was no direct uh corollary there but i think that in general they really put a made a good effort to really be conscientious about these things and part of it is also that you know for voice actors they knew that these characters would be covered up like the voice the actors would be covered up by whoever the character was on screen it didn't really matter what they look like because this was a character of color and so um you know you could certainly make that argument that Maybe they, you know, it, it, for employment purposes, it would be nice to hire more people of color for these roles. But in terms of like the way it appeared, the way it presented, they still had this character of color be a lead. They still had a female character be a lead. They still had a female character who was, um, you know, somewhere on the spectrum as a lead. And it's just, it's, it's awesome stuff. And they did it all absolutely intentionally. Um, and they, you know, they and they had the full support of their entire artistic team. It seems like even this this religious guy who who he quotes at the end. Um. Uh. Who 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 said like, look, you you're really doing amazing stuff, and um and Studio Mirror was willing to do all of this with them and work with them on this, and even Nick was to a point willing to let them do what they wanted to do. Um. Yeah. It was just. It was great. It was so great. fun uh, ride. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I like. I would have been totally cool with them. You, you know. I I, I think I would have been frustrated if they just never said anything about it because it would have felt like they were because just to me it's so obvious what's like going stand on with it yeah scene. stand with it if you're gonna make exactly point, i would have felt like yeah, yeah why aren't you standing by what you clearly did but i would have also been comfortable uh knowing yeah like i think the show that, is that and the right. show yeah and the show is is knowing in my heart i was right but like knowing that the show is very clear about what it's saying except well okay yeah sure it's just, but yeah, exactly. I mean, yours was more poetic. I mean, I get that. Um, yeah, anyway, I was a so, little more self-aggrandizing. Yeah. 
Um, so I uh, next week I do. There's no more episodes, right? Sad, sad day. Oh, wah, wah. I, um, <laughs> but I would like to just <laughs> what go a back. great way to close it out. <laughs> womp, womp. Um, but I would like to go back and, and maybe look at season four as a whole and the whole series really. The whole, yeah, the whole series I think is and just reflect on it. everything. Yeah, maybe. yeah, I think that we should definitely do that. Maybe we'll have to watch it again though. That's part of my problem. I got to go back Marathon. and see. I it mean, all. how is it even all on Nick.com? I know season four is, but man, I hope so. And if, but you know, well, but the good news is that it won't take that long because it's only thirteen episodes a season. It's only like two seasons of Avatar. Basically. I think fifty total episodes. Fifty-two, like I think they are. Yeah, fifty-two. All right, yeah. Yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thanks for for joining me for this. Is there anything else you want to just throw in, or? Um. Oh, yeah, I just I wanted to. I we we totally last time we missed the Julie Varick thing. I wanted to just clarify. Uh, we realized after we finished recording that we missed the Varick Julie stuff. Julie has become an amazing character, and her her SmackDown in that last episode was awesome. Uh, when Varick just does not get that she can't treat him like uh, crap, and um, uh, that he can't treat her like crap, and so I I think the I thought that scene played out exactly the way I wanted it to. I've been talking about how creepy and kind of offensive their relationship was, and they totally f- made me feel so much less queasy about it. Um, so yeah, I thought that was that was great. So and then we got the full. We talked about it again, you know, the the marriage and how that all played out. But I just wanted to say I, my favorite scene I think of theirs was when uh, Varric just can't seem to um, understand that he can't just you know treat her like like crap and, and expect to get away with it so yeah uh i have a question for you yeah sure uh what power does bolin have to officiate weddings i i don't know that's a great question <laughs> when he was doing that i was like i sort of just i was like yeah yeah i know he's a justice of the peace wait no he's not wait why did i why did i think he had that ability i don't know um uh, what power vested it lo- in him law that, uh, or... law, law bending yes he's <laughs> <laughs> Rule bending. I don't know. Marital status bending. Marital status bending. I don't know, but whatever. Let's just take. Did he? Yeah, sure. Why not? Why does he have that ability? I'm trying to think. I mean, he has, what position did he hold at any point that would have given him famous that person? That's what it is. He's a celebrity. He's a celebrity. Yeah, well, Brad Pitt. You Celebrities know, he just have that all power. the time. Yeah. Well. Anyway, <laughs> that is a good question. I did wonder that myself. There's a lot of things we just took for granted in this episode, just in there. <laughs> it's like you know. Yeah. yeah. I guess I just you know maybe that. The, the rules of marriage in that particular regard, in terms of just law, are different in this world, so Id, Varric, and Julie just asked him to do it because you don't need any special... Well, it might be Although, that you have to just sign a contract or something, and that the, the wedding is ceremonial. It's not... Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, could be, it could be anything, but I did think it was funny that Bolin, for some reason, had, uh, had this power vested in him. Yeah, well, the other thing is we might want to... I don't know, this might be another cultural thing. Like, maybe they don't do... I don't know how weddings work in, say, China. You know, I don't know if they have to have someone from the state come in or how that works. Uh, so it might just be something that we just, you know, because we're in America, we have absolutely no idea what the uh, context is for this. So who knows? Who knows? But I thought it was a it was a great moment, and uh, I just wanted to clarify that we, we, do, we missed it, but we knew it was a thing, and it was... Uh, well, they did the thing. So uh, next week, we'll uh, we'll cover... Uh, the rest of Korra as a whole, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's it's been a real pleasure talking about this series. It's definitely Absolutely. I'm sad. I'm, I'm I am sad to see it go, but it's I, mean, I am it was, too. 
it was such a great experience to, to get to watch it and, and to get to talk about it. I'm, I'm glad we got to do this. And it's one of, yes, absolutely. And I'm, and it's also one of those rare shows that I think gets better over time because now we have so much more context for everything. It's going to be so interesting seeing those older episodes at this point. Yeah, for sure. Um, with the context of the character arcs and romantic arcs and everything. so And it also makes, you know, it even retroactively <laughs> makes the romance in the first and second season feel uh, okay. Because you're like, well, this isn't the end game, so it doesn't matter what, you know, the drama that's going on now. Because <laughs> it's become <laughs> diminished over time because Korra and Asami have become more important uh, as a couple. Um, and it's almost like those had to happen to get that out of the way so that you could clear the way so they could get together. So, yeah, it's cool. I like it. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, th- again, thanks for joining me, and uh, we'll we'll talk again next week. One last episode. One last episode. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs>